Hey guys, welcome to another major episode of Trigger. Today we're sitting down with Republican Congressman Greg Stubbe from Florida's 17th Congressional District. He's an Army veteran who served in the Army JAG Corps and has been an important America First voice in Congress, especially, especially, this is a big one for all of us, when it comes to calling out the corruption inside the FBI and the weaponization of our government. He sits on that committee. He had some epic moments uh, a week and a half ago, and uh, I think you're going to want to hear about everything that's going on there. Beyond that, he also happens to be the best baseball player in Congress, so maybe we'll even get to a question or two about that. This is going to be a fun one, so make sure you like, subscribe, and share this episode so that all of your friends see it too, guys. That's how this works, right? If you're sharing it, uh, big tech ain't doing us any favors. Big social ain't doing us any favors. The mainstream media certainly isn't going to let the truth get out there. It's up to you guys. So like it, share it, subscribe so that you, your friends, your loved ones, they see it and we can help fight back. But first, before we get to Greg, I want to make sure to take a second and thank our sponsors. Go check out the folks over at Gold Co. by going to DonJuniorGold.com. Like I've been saying for a while, guys, we talk about it on the show. Maybe we'll even cover some of it later on. We see the economic storm that's brewing. We see the warning signs. We see inflation. We see the bank collapses. We see the rise in interest rates. When people's mortgages recenter, what's going to happen? Okay? Gold and silver can protect your retirement savings from inflation and dollar devaluation. And with Gold Co., you can protect and grow your retirement savings. Don't trust the morons that are out there making the stupid decisions. Learn for yourself that owning tangible, physical, inflation hedging gold and silver can help diversify your portfolio. So from precious metal IRAs to direct purchases of gold and silver, Gold Co's helped thousands of Americans diversify and protect their retirement savings. So support the companies who support you instead of supporting the woke companies that hate your guts. You see it every day, folks. We got to pick sides. Go to DonJuniorGold.com to learn more. That's D-O-N-J-R-Gold.com and learn more. Also, be sure to check out Blackout Coffee. Folks, you don't have to choose between what you believe and what you buy, and you're going to be drinking coffee anyway, right? <laughs> we all do. I'm on like my fourth cup today already. So if, if you do support a brand that aligns with your conservative values, it's American-made, it's family-owned, and they support your values. So from sourcing the beans to the roasting process and customer support and shipping, Blackout Coffee will never compromise on taste or quality. They do it all while supporting our freedom-loving values. So go to blackoutcoffee.com slash Don Jr. That's blackoutcoffee.com slash D-O-N-J-R for 20% off your first order. Um, I think you're going to really like it. And with that, we're going to go to Rep Stubbe. Well, guys, we're on now with Congressman Greg Stubbe of Florida. And I just want to say, first and foremost, I'm glad you made an amazing recovery after your accident in January. I mean, that was, you know, during all the speaker craziness and everything like that, you know, tell, tell us a little bit about that. You know, you know what happened and, and how you're making a recovery. That was a, that was a pretty serious one. 
Yeah, I was uh, 25, 30 feet up on an extension ladder with a 20 inch bar chainsaw in my hand cutting a limb. You know, my district in my house included in that are still, you know, we're still climbing out of Hurricane Ian, still yeah. repairing things and fixing stuff. So there's limbs on our property that was still needed to come down. And I still have trees that still need to come down. And I was up about 25 feet cutting a limb and the limb broke free, hit the ladder and, and literally ejected me up into the air and uh, landed straight on the ground, had a pretty significant concussion, um, tore the ligaments in my neck, had a punctured lung and broke my pelvis on my right side. So between all of that, it's been kind of a progression. Um, after about a week or so, the concussion you know, went away. Um, the ligaments took about three and a half, four weeks with the C collar on to, to get over that. And it still have, even today, you know, it's a little sore. Um, the, the blood in the lungs took about eight weeks. So that's why I couldn't fly to, to DC. Cause you can't fly when you got blood in your lungs that can cause all sorts of medical problems for you. Yeah. And no, then, that, that, uh, the pressure change is less than ideal for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't want that blood going to your brain or your heart. So, uh, the, the surgeons were like, you absolutely cannot fly until that's clear. Really? So, uh, that's why I couldn't fly up. And then the pelvis is a slow process. The surgeon originally told me three weeks non weight bearing. And I was like, there's no way. I'm a 45 year old guy. I'm not some 70 something year old that broke his hip. Like I, there's no way I can do, do three months without putting weight on my right side. So yeah. we worked it out and did three weeks and then x-ray showed that things were healing. So I started doing progressive weight bearing and you can still feel it, but I'm certainly a lot better uh, than I have been and look forward to being on the mound for the Republicans on uh, June 14th. So people should tune into Fox sports. I'll be pitching from the mound and maybe I'll hit another dinger out of Nats park. Yeah, I mean, listen, if you guys lose to the Democrats with the policies that they face, like, you know, I, I'm going to call you guys all out. Okay? <laughs> that, that should be unacceptable uh, at this point. But listen, I, hopefully you're there uh, for that, because, you know, I, I did it last uh, now almost three weeks ago. It was, I, mean, I had my e-bike in the back of my truck and I was unloading it and it started raining and I had a full truck of other stuff. And I just wanted to get it out of the rain. And so like a jackass, I was rather than just jumping out and pulling it off, I tried lowering it from the top, totally slipped and just fell on my bike, took like the handlebars to the rib. Uh, and oh. uh, it, it's been less than awesome. And like three weeks later, I can't do a sit up yet. Like it's it's brutal. And so like I'm a dumbass, but yours is a, a lot different. But I know how that can happen because uh, back in high school, uh, you know, and even college summer stuff, you know, my father had me doing like landscaping. And so I've, I've run the chainsaws and when you're up there, that stuff can go wrong real quickly. So I'm glad you're okay, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. I think chainsaw by itself is okay. Extension ladder by itself is okay. But when you put them together, that could be dangerous. <laughs> by the way, just so we're clear, both, both of them individually can still suck. <laughs> you have a chainsaw bite back. It's, it, it's it's not a lot of fun. And the ladder thing, you know, I, I know, you know, you hear, hear the stories for me as an outdoorsman, all that, you know, people who fall out of their tree stands 20 feet up and they're paralyzed for life or worse uh, if there yeah. is worse, you know. Uh, so now it can happen. I, I, I'm just glad you haven't miss, missed a beat. But with all that recovery, how, how did you do that? I mean, I see you out there. You're aggressively doing it. You're hitting the issues. Uh, you know, how'd you pull that off? Yeah, I just worked hard. I made sure that, you know, I pushed my body and pushed the doctors because the doctors were like, hey, you know, you can't do this, you can't do that. And I'm like, no, if I can hit this metric, if I can do this, then I need to keep pushing my body. And um, every day trying to get better doing rehab at home. And uh, I was, I mean, I was down for six, eight weeks. I, I didn't come up here. 
So um, I was able to use that time to rest and to recuperate and to start therapy, and uh, I'm in a good place now. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear it, and I, I'm glad that you're back uh, in D.C. now because I think you had some pretty awesome moments uh, in the weaponization hearing last week. Uh, you know, what's your reaction to what we learned? And again, people like me, I sort of feel like, you know, I've known this for a while only because, you know, I was probably a top target uh, of of their overreach, uh, of that weaponization, probably second to my father. Uh, but what's your reaction to, you know, what we learned, you know, now from the FBI whistleblowers? I mean, and that was on top of Durham. And then you hear about the, you know, 260, right. 270,000 people that were spied on illegally. I mean, does it ever end? I mean, is there any end in sight? The end in sight is 2024 and electing your father as president to change all of this garbage. Um, but what what my initial reaction to all this is complete and utter disgust. Um, the, the, the weaponization that has occurred at the highest levels of the FBI and the DOJ, long before even your dad got elected in his first term, uh, what was going on with the spying, what was going on with the Russia collusion hoax, all of that. And then to hear actual officers and these guys, most of them were military veterans who had served in combat. Um, these are these are true American patriots who the Democrats, all they decided to do were, was attack these American patriots because they were brave enough to come forward and say we shouldn't be, you know, the SWAT team shouldn't be raiding on 80 year old people who want to cooperate with the feds on January 6th. We shouldn't be targeting these individuals when sexual rapists and all these other crimes aren't being prosecuted, when they make these whistleblowers, which is protected under law, and then the FBI takes all of their personal belongings. They don't have clothes. They don't have access to things. Does all of this deliberately, the spite and the type of activity and treatment that these gentlemen uh, received shows you the depths of the evil that is our FBI and our DOJ today. And, I, and I'm glad that Chair Jordan was able to bring that before the committee and bring it before the American people because you know everybody's like, oh yeah, sure, there's whistleblowers. But to actually hear from American patriots like that with their type of background, I think puts a big asterisk on that this is actually happening. It's happening a lot more than, than we realize because there's very few people that are brave enough like this to come forward. And there was like two dozen that came to us and these were the only four, three that were willing to come before the committee openly and not because they know that they're going to be attacked. So there's yeah. way more. And I actually I actually even had a, a former FBI female officer who'd done like 30 years who came up to me at an event in my district. She now lives in my district. And uh, she said the exact same thing. And I asked her, I'm like, look, I'm going to be part of the weaponization committee. Would you be willing to testify about this? And you get the look like no way do I want to take that on because people are scared. They know that they're going to yeah. come after them. Um, so it's it's a sad day in America that this type, this type of behavior is going on. And uh, but but to put that light on it so that the people can see exactly what's happened, I think is really important. Yeah, no, I've been saying that for a while because the amount of sort of agents that have come up to me throughout, whether it's at events where my father's there and they're working or whatever it may be, you know, actual the actual door kickers. And I think we always want to make the distinction between the bureaucrats at the top that are the people penalizing these people. They're the people, you know, promoting sort of the checkbox people. And those are going to be the people in power. And if they understand you may be a little bit right leaning, you're going nowhere. You know, but, the, you know, the average door kicker is so much on our side. But, and for a while, I've been saying, like, we need these people to come and step out. It's so obvious what's going on to people like us who are doing this daily, uh, who've, you know, who've been, you know, the targets of that kind of, you know, persecution or prosecutions. Uh, but to average average Americans, I mean, I was guilty of this for so long where it's like, 
come on, it's the FBI. They're, they're, they're doing the right thing. They, they got to be on our side. But it's clear that they're not. I, I remember a time, you know, whether yeah. it's Alexander Vindeman or any of the people that spoke out against the Trump administration, the whistleblowers were beyond reproach. They were protected at all costs. If there were glaring holes in their stories or even lies, that meant nothing. And now it's yeah. exactly the opposite. Yeah, it's funny when they're Democratic whistleblowers that we're going to pull out all the stops. The press is going to follow all the rules. The the Democrats are going to follow all the rules. And then if we attack the witnesses, then we're attacking a legitimate whistleblower. And then when the exact facts are flipped, uh, they do all of the things that they that they blame us for doing. They do all of the things that are in violation of the law. And they're even we're trying to say, oh, the FBI sent a letter. These aren't actually whistleblowers, which in part of my questioning is why I asked the things I asked. Didn't you, it was Officer Friend, didn't you, Officer Friend, go through the exact protocol the FBI puts in place to be a whistleblower? And he's like, yes. And I said, and you talked to your supervisors, isn't that correct? Yes, I talked to three levels of supervisors and went through this process. But then the FBI sends out a letter, oh, these aren't whistleblowers. You know, it's, 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 it's so messed up that this type of behavior is going on. And this is our opportunity in the majority on the House side to bring some reckoning and bring some justice to some of this. Well, you know, I, I think, you know, certainly the people on our side, I guess, you know, again, the, the Democrats, you know, the, the ones that have screamed for years, you know, democracy dies in darkness, democracy, democracy, you know, they're awfully silent about this. Uh, you know, it, it, and it's so clear, it's so glaring, it's so obvious, you add, you know, these whistleblowers to Mueller, you add that to the other sort of illegal, illegal FISA stuff, you add it to, uh, you know, the Durham report, you add, all this stuff adds up. And you're saying, why, why would anyone even, you know, give even a little bit of benefit of the doubt to the FBI? They're, they're clearly acting as rogue agents, as benefit, you know, beneficiaries for the Democratic Party. Uh, it's so glaring uh, there's there's not even a pretense of objectivity anymore. So, you know, the, but what, I think what our people want to know, they love the hearings, but what's actually going to happen? What can you do? And I understand, listen, we don't have the Senate. We don't have the White House. It's hard to get actual legislation passed. I think, you know, the vast majority of Republicans would probably, you know, burn those institutions to the ground, at least the MAGA Republicans, which is most of them. Yeah. Uh, maybe not the D.C. elitists who are fine because they're going to be OK. But uh, your grandmother, if she was within a thousand miles of D.C., won't. But what are the actionable items that you guys can do? Obviously, you know, with at Congress, you control the power of the purse strings. What are the ways that you can actually, you know, enforce some of these things? Make sure that there is a consequence to these people going so far above and beyond to break the law, uh, to protect one class over the other, et cetera. Well, the greatest thing in coincidence of time, which I think is going to be a blessing, is FISA gets reauthorized, is supposed to be reauthorized, it expires at the end of this year. Myself, Jim Jordan, others on the Judiciary Committee do not support reauthorizing FISA. I actually have signed on a bill to do away with FISA, which is the real problem of all of this. Like the surveilling on the Trump campaign, all of that was going through the FISA court. They, were, they, they used the Hillary Clinton dossier to then get warrants through the FISA court, lying to the FISA court to then be able to surveil on American citizens. And, and there are steps that we can take like doing away with FISA. And wouldn't you know it, FISA has to be reauthorized in December of this year. So I don't think you're going to see a Republican majority house reauthorize FISA. That's something that has to go through the Judiciary Committee, which Jim Jordan chairs. 
Um, so that's one step that we can take. And the other, you, you, you hit on it, is the appropriations process. Jim Jordan hasn't ruled this out. I certainly would vote to do away with certain levels of spending in certain different organizations within the FBI, the higher level of the FBI. Um, you're going to get attacked by the Democrats by saying, oh, we're now defunding law enforcement, but we're not defunding law enforcement. We're, we're defunding impeachable conduct. We are defunding organizations that are unconstitutionally surveilling American citizens without warrants. Those are the type of things that through the appropriations process, I think we can accomplish. I mean, there are a lot of members that would probably support uh, completely reforming the FBI and defunding it, but you're not going to get 218 votes on the floor for that. But I think if you take a surgical approach to some of these most offensive, egregious assaults on our Constitution, like the FISA court and their ability to surveil on American citizens without a warrant, you're going to take very strong, bold steps in the right direction to reform the agency. What about against some of the individuals, you know, the sort of the, the, the worst of the bad actors? Uh, you know, that, again, you know, came out in Durham, uh, the people that authorized some of the stuff as it relates to, you know, maybe getting into a little bit of detail about the, you know, quarter of a million plus people that were illegally spied on, you know, by our government. I mean, it, like that, that was almost just a little blip with all the other news out there that, that yeah. doesn't even it, it doesn't even make it to most people's radar. And yet we saw that last week that, oh my, like, you know, well, I don't know what the exact number was. I think it was like 260, 270,000 like, Americans. Yeah, it was right? like, like 238,000 Americans that were inappropriately surveilled. Yeah. Yeah. But like, think about how big a number that is. Right. I mean, and yet it's like, yeah. oh, it's not even a news story. I mean, if this was against people on the left, if this was against Antifa, if this was against the leaders of BLM or the participants in the riots who, you know, in the summer of love looted, uh, committed arson, uh, committed actual insurrections, took over buildings. You know, I'm told the double standard is, is egregious, but it's not even like, oh, it's fine. Like, it's, you know, they're probably conservative, so who cares? Let's just let it happen. Yeah, and that's what the mainstream media is perfectly complicit in. That's what this leftist democratic deep state swamp up here in the FBI and DOJ obviously wants and is complicit in. And you share a level of frustration that I have shared and I experience in the Durham report comes out. He identifies all these egregious things that happened with the FBI and the DOJ, yet doesn't recommend charges for the Comeys of the world, for the strokes of the world, for the individuals who actually did this ridiculously unlawful behavior because they're smart enough to realize that they can go to FISA and make these representations. But even though they may know those representations are false. There's no criminal conduct that can go after these individuals. I actually had a bill last Congress that would have made any sworn statement before the FISA court if you know or should know that the information that is underlying that uh, affidavit is false, you can be held criminally liable for that. But of course, it didn't get through Congress. And uh, those are the type of reforms that we really need to take to ensure that this type of behavior doesn't happen again. But I share your level of frustration. Those individuals should be in prison. You lied to a court using your position within the FBI as the head of the FBI or whatever you were in the DOJ to make false representations to a court to get warrants to surveil on American citizens. That should be, I mean, it's impeachable conduct, but all those people are gone now. Uh, but it absolutely, in my opinion, should be criminally uh, tried and convicted. But Durham failed to bring any charges against those people. Yeah, I guess that's the real problem, right? The, 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 the sort of stick that you guys have would be impeachment, but they get caught, they retire, they get a high paying job to be a commentator on CNN or MSNBC. And like, 
That's the consequence. It's not a. It's not even a. It's a reward. Yeah. Uh, they 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 get to make money and they get to talk about you know watching some of these guys with the outrage about protecting democracy. I'm like wait a minute, like you lied before Congress and are facing no consequence. I mean, you know, that's I wrote a book about liberal privilege, uh, and, and that seems to be you know you know a, a big part of it. You now have, and I wonder if. You know, talk about perhaps, you know, weaponization. That's obviously, you know, the stuff on the FBI that was pertaining to January 6th and other things, because, you know, we're told that white supremacy is the greatest threat to America. But, you know, it doesn't seem like there's uh, all that much of it, uh, if any. Uh, The actual threats, whether it's trans terrorism or those things are totally overlooked because I guess they're not allowed to look at them. But the other place where weaponization, I think, could get into, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, is you know, you heard about the DOJ getting involved uh, in the people that were investigating the Hunter Biden claims about tax fraud. Now, that's one of the smaller claims that they have, but probably had real teeth. And for the Biden controlled DOJ to go in there to literally fire whistleblowers, again, people who are calling out impropriety or, you know, break, you know, breaking major breaks in procedure on an investigation of the son of the president, I have a feeling I wouldn't get that break. And I have a feeling if I did, no, absolutely, you wouldn't. if I did, there would be outrage in there as well. I mean, is there something that the weaponization committee can do about that? Because, you know, th- that seems to be a big one. And I take it personally myself. Listen, maybe I'm a little bit biased, but after doing 50 hours of testimony before Congress for treason, uh, that that was all based on a lie. Um, you know, I, I sort of feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of smoke. Uh, with the Hunter Biden stuff, frankly, there's a lot of fire. All that stuff's been proven to be accurate, and yet doesn't even have a, doesn't even get called in. Well, and it goes a little deeper than that because weeks before that broke, the uh, IRS commissioner was before my other committee that I sit on, Ways and Means, that has jurisdiction over IRS, and the chairman specifically asked him, "Are you going to retaliate against whistleblowers?" So now back to lying to congress he straight up lied to congress so either he lied to congress uh and he did do that later or somebody like you said in the doj or in the biden white house told him to to move this individual who now became a whistleblower uh last week they sent his lawyer sent a letter to us uh the committee is going to start going through that i think you're going to see uh, if that individual is willing to come before Congress after we get an interview from him, at least his lawyer uh, is willing to come before the, the Ways and Means Committee to get testimony as to what exactly occurred. But based on reporting, what you're saying is accurate. This individual was working what we've been told on a high profile case. Um, the reporting says where it is, but we, we can all make those assumptions and uh, was removed by the DOJ. So the DOJ called the IRS commissioner who had him removed after he testified to our committee that there would be absolutely no repercussions for any whistleblowers in his agency. Um, And this is the depth of corruption that is going on up here in Washington, DC, and the complete difference of, uh, like you said, Democrats have one standard, Republicans have another standard. If your father's administration would do this type of thing, Uh, There would be absolute, complete outrage 24-7 on every mainstream media. Everybody in America would know about it, but the Democrats do it all the time and it's perfectly fine. There's going to be no accountability for these people. Yeah, and listen, hey, if my father's administration did this as an American, I I agree, there should be that outrage. But what's so scary, again, is just the silence about this. You know, just the tacit acceptance that it doesn't matter because ultimately 
you know, and I don't think Joe Biden's actually in charge. I think whoever's in charge is putting whatever they want in front of Joe Biden. He'll sign everything blindly. They don't care if they'll throw his reputation under the table. It means nothing. I think he's actually furthered the radical leftist cause far more than Obama ever would, because Obama would never risk his reputation. Uh, you know, Joe, uh, you know, he, he doesn't know what his reputation is. He doesn't know where he is 90 percent of the time. Uh, but just yeah. that everyone's sort of in on it, that the media, the, these people who represented a once noble profession. Eh, well, you know, you know, and I, you know, again, you don't you don't have to go back too far. A couple of years to look at what they were saying about me or, you know, the Trump organization that actually, you know, conducted real business, didn't form entities of the day uh, we got into office, didn't magically uh, start making money from foreign nations uh, that, you know, my father was in control over policy regard. And like, it, it's so glaring. Uh, and yet that's why it's so important. So I tell people, you know, like and subscribe, share this kind of content, because our journalists, even on the conservative side, 99 percent of them won't even talk about it. This should be a really big deal because our country has been for sale to China. We're the highest bidder for quite some time, apparently, and no one gives a damn. Yep, I agree with everything that you've said, and it's time for a reckoning on all of this. And I hope that uh, Jason Smith, the Ways and Means Chair, I think he will uh, bring these individuals in, get testimony from this whistleblower as to what exactly occurred, get as much information legally as we can and bring it before the American people. And then what I would like to do after that is bring in the IRS commissioner and ask him why he lied to us under oath. And back to these repercussions for these individuals, we can make DOJ referrals for criminal conduct. So I would love to make a referral to the DOJ that the IRS commissioner lied under oath to Congress. But the challenge is the DOJ is not going to do anything because they're all on the same team. And the, the level of deep corruption of all of them working together, and you saw that in the weaponization hearing last week. So the IRS, or not the IRS, the FBI sends out a letter the day before these whistleblowers show up in our hearing that, oh, they're not really whistleblowers. So FBI says, oh, they're not whistleblowers. So we, we're not going to treat them as whistleblowers, even though they are whistleblowers and went through all the protocol that was required of them. So then all of the Democrats on the committee, they just said, oh, these aren't real whistleblowers. So we don't have to give them the rights uh, that, that whistleblowers get. And then all they did, they didn't talk about any of the facts. All they did was attack these patriots for their service to our nation and that they were MAGA and they were just, uh, you know, infiltrating the FBI, despite the fact that some of them have been there for decades. And, and that was their talking points, but they're all working together. It's all in concert. So the FBI that's run by the deep state sends out this letter the day before the hearing and then all the Democrats take the cues and then that's the talking points. And then that's everything that you see on mainstream media for the next couple of days to, to, to completely discredit these individuals and their service to our nation. Yeah, listen, I, I think, you know, with the overreaction, with the insanity, you know, those who have been sort of on the sidelines or, you know, let's call them politically agnostic. I, you know, I think it's so bad. It's so egregious that they're starting to get it, that I, I get that you yourselves, you can't prosecute these people. You can only do the referral to the DOJ. But I think given the facts, given what people are seeing now on a daily basis, maybe it doesn't go anywhere. In all likelihood, it doesn't go anywhere because Merrick Garland's going to protect these people at all costs. I think it still makes an important statement, you know, that we do this, that we show the American people that, you know, they aren't above the law. What what the Biden administration, what the you know, what his DOJ will do, I think will only further solidify what everyone's starting to understand in terms of just how crooked these guys actually are. So, you know, I, I get that you can't do it yourselves, but I think it makes an important statement that we take 
every action, make every referral that we possibly can, allow them to blow it off and let the facts lay where they are. But I right. think it's important to make that statement because the American people will see that they're finally waking up to just how bad it is. Uh, and, you know, again, I think there will be retribution for that. Yeah, you're right. And the real the real accomplishment of this is in 2024 and showing the American people all of these things that have been going on. Some of these things have been going on before your father was president. I mean, some of this stuff is so deeply seated corruption that now we're starting to find out and get the facts and information about it. And the American people, you're right, are seeing this. And the American people may not, we may not be able to take justice in our own hands by you know sending a referral and the DOJ is going to prosecute these guys. But the American people, with their feet and their hands can go and vote in 2024 and make a huge difference because they're going to see the deep-seated corruption that have been going on by the Democratic Party up here. Yeah, no, I, th I think that's huge. But let, let's talk a little bit about this because you were also a JAG officer before you became an elected lawmaker. Given sort of your legal background, how much does what you see, you know, inside the FBI and DOJ sort of shock your conscience? I mean, it, did you always see this? Was it there? I mean, you talked about sort of, hey, we're realizing that a lot of this stuff has happened for years now. You know, whether it's, you know, what I call Trump derangement syndrome, you know, Donald Trump and just his threat to the uni party sort of brought the lunacy out in all of these people. But are, are you surprised at this level or is it something that you've sort of seen during that entire you know portion of your career? No, no, absolutely surprised because if this if this type of activity was going on when I was in the service, especially in the legal side of our military, you would be gone in a heartbeat. I mean, it wouldn't even be the stuff we saw with Hillary Clinton and the whitewashing of a server and all that stuff. If I would have had classified information on in the same scenario on a on a on a server, I would have been I would have been court-martialed and kicked out of the military. The the change has happened uh, over the last several years of this deep-seated corruption that Washington's fine with as long as it's woke ideology and progressive whatever we care more about pronouns and I've been very disappointed in our military military I was honored to be a part on and serve on honored to be to go and deploy an operation Iraqi freedom and I've had the opportunity to recently sit down with some of our generals and speak to them and they, you know they're like well you know can you help us with recruitment and what is your advice and all of that and I said like a week ago, you just had one of your secretaries saying that the number one national security threat to our country is climate change. Do you think guys like me who are red blooded Americans want to sign up to fight climate change? No, we signed up to kick doors in and to jump out of airplanes and to fight terrorists, not to fight climate change. So like you, you need to reshift the focus and of any agency in the United States government you would think the military wouldn't have all of this perversity and progressive progressivism infused into it but that's absolutely what's been going on and if that type of activity i mean i can't imagine there was that that picture of this colonel or whoever dressed up in some like weird outfit with a costume in his uniform if that would happen when i was in the service i don't know 10 15 years ago that guy would be gone he'd be court-martialed and be kicked out of the military but now it's perfectly fine you can be trans you can dress up you can do all these different things and that is the focus of this military and this government under joe biden not our national security and our national defense so it's a, it's actually as a guy that served like yeah, we could we could talk a lot about Afghanistan, but as a guy who served, uh, it's very disheartening to see what's happened to our military since Joe yeah. Biden's been president. Well, it's even crazier, you know, even as someone like myself from the outside, you know, it's like the recruitment numbers are down. It's a disaster. We don't know what to do. 
I got it. The Navy brings in, you know, a drag influencer. I'm like, I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I, I think you're going the wrong direction in this. You know, I, I have a marketing degree from Wharton. I think I understand a little bit about this process, and that's not it. You know, what? what's making them go there? I mean, the, you know, Patton must be rolling over in his grave watching, you know, yeah. these woke generals do this. And again, we make the distinction between the generals at the top that, you know, think it's all wonderful and think it's great. And, you know, I think they're bullshitting the American public. I don't think anyone with with a brain believes any of the stuff that they're saying. I guess they're trying to get on the board of Disney or something like that. But like, you know, how did that happen? How did that woke ideology get a grip, you know, of the leaders of some, the greatest warriors ever? Straight from the top, straight from Biden, straight to Austin, and then down to the general corps. And then they push this ideology on our military force. I actually had two individuals this past year who applied to be uh, my nominations for the different academies. And after the Air Force pulled some of their crazy transgenderism, woke stuff, they pulled their packets. So these are young men who want to serve their country, who want to go into the military, who are intelligent enough to be able to get admitted into the academy and be nominated by a congressman in their district to serve in the academy. And they're like, nope, don't want to have anything to do with this. Don't want to be a part of this. I'm pulling my packet. And that's the impact that it's having on people who would be war fighters. Uh, war fighters, in, in my opinion, aren't the people that are doing drag queen shows, those aren't typically who you select to be war fighters uh, in our country. And the rest of our enemies across the world are seeing this and just sitting back and laughing. The Russians, the Chinese are saying the Americans are too concerned about transgenderism and pronouns and climate change than really being prepared on uh, securing our nation and securing our borders. And so it's, it's, it's just really sad to see our nation's military go to the level that it has gone to recently under this administration. Well, you know, listen, I'm glad you yourself are actually pushing back. It's not just talk. I mean, you actually have a bill out there to eliminate DEI funding from the military and the service academy. So, you know, I'm not sure, I, Greg, I could be perhaps a little bit off, but I imagine the Navy's drag queen influencer recruiter is not going to like you very much. And I'm sure you're going to lose a lot of sleep <laughs> uh, at night over that. But tell us a little bit about the bill. Yeah, it takes all this garbage out of our military where it doesn't belong. It takes all the diversity, equity, inclusion, all of that program and the pronouns and the drag queens and the transgenderism and all of that. And it takes it out of our military. It has absolutely no place in the military. It absolutely doesn't have any place in our government, but it certainly doesn't have any place in our military operations. Our military should be focused on the safety and security of the American people, on the safety and security of our border, on the safety and security of fighting China and all of the things that are coming with that, what's going on in Eastern Europe. Um, it should not be focused on programs for diversity and inclusion in our military. We should have the people who want to serve in a volunteer force who have the physical ability to be war fighters and pass all of the things that I had to pass when I was in the service. And if there are women that, that can pass all of the different physical attributes that are required to be in a combat unit, then all, I'm all for that. But you have to put those those uh, bars in place to ensure that we have a war fighting uh, force to be able to defend our nation. Yeah, no, 100 percent. I mean, I'd love to be a Navy SEAL, but I'd love to be able to do it on like, you know, a half day on a Saturday. Uh, maybe not right. have to run all that much or swim that far with all that gear. I mean, yeah, I don't want really the water to be that cold. Of, I want the trident, but none of the work. You know what I mean? I think that'd be really cool. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't I, mind having that on, on my chest. Yeah, 
yeah, it'd be pretty cool. Like, we, we we should make that happen. I mean, it seems to be basically what they're trying to do to a lot of these other institutes. You saw that the the people that were most persecuted in the military, you know, with the vax mandate and stuff like that, were like our elite operators, our you know our fighter pilots, the people that had the most training. I guess they. You know, shockingly, those people probably also leaned more conservative than others. So I guess it was time to eliminate them. But, you know, you highlighted something uh, fairly recently where the Air Force selected students for a pilot training class solely based on race and gender requirements. Now, again, maybe I'm an old fashioned guy, but it seems like the most important qualification would be whether or not they're actually able to fly the freaking plane uh, and be qualified to take the class in the first place. But apparently that criteria, you know, the idea of merit uh, no longer applies if you can check a couple boxes. And what they did is 100% racism by definition. They used a program and specifically wanted minorities, women. It was not based on productivity or ability at all. It was based on race and gender, which is actually a violation of our law. But that's the way that our military is currently operating. Yeah, like I, I if you did that, you know, at any, if I did that at the Trump organization and said, I, I'm only hiring white, like we'd be in jail. Like, we, you know, they're trying to get us on yep. nonsense for the last seven years, but like, they would go after us. But when it happens at our elite institutions, government funded, which is not government funded, it's taxpayer funded. Well, that, that's OK. Yes. I mean, it's, it's literally sanctioned racism, as far as I'm concerned, paid for by the American taxpayer. That's absolutely what it is. And then the mainstream media is going to prop it up as look at this great equity and inclusion and diversity that the Biden administration has in our Air Force and our military instead of what it really is. And think of all of those servicemen and women who were more qualified, uh, who happened to not be a minority or a female that were excluded from participating simply because they were not the right race or gender. Yeah, someone who could have been training for it for their whole lives. That was their dream. That's all they wanted. They're most qualified. And so, nah, someone, you know, we're, we're going to make this guy a pilot. He has no interest in actually flying, but it's more elite. So we're going to put them in there and that, that's fine. I mean, it's, you know, again, it's it's not shocking that they can't meet their recruiting requirements. I mean, a, a huge part of patriotism, as you sort of alluded to, is actually believing in the mission. And if the mission has nothing to do with what, what the historical mission of the United States military would be, and has to do with you know gender ideology and you know drag queen story hour and what you know I, I I understand why we're probably not recruiting the finest and why those who we'd actually want fighting our wars for us those who uh, the the patriotic Americans who would do best in those situations uh, have no interest. And then think of the numerous uh, thousands of service members who didn't want to take uh, an experimental vaccine. Uh, for religious reasons and filed religious exemptions and the government told them, no, absolutely not. You're either going to take the jab or you're out. I tried to help uh, a female that we had at the Naval Academy who signed up to go to the Naval Academy, who wanted to serve her country and for religious reasons didn't want to take the COVID vaccine. And after years, thankfully, one of the first things we passed in the House was doing away with the vaccine mandates in the military. And so now she's still at the Academy, but they weren't even going to give her a diploma. 
let alone commission her. And she was like, I don't even care. At this point, I don't even care about getting the commission. I've spent four years in college. I at least want to have a degree so I can go on with the rest of my life. And the, the Naval Academy was refusing to agree to even give her a diploma after four years at the Naval College uh, because she was refusing to take a vaccine on religious grounds. I mean, that's the type of behavior that when people read about that in the paper, they're like, I don't want to be a part of an organization like that. Yeah, we get to hear about a lot of people being fascist and dictatorial, and yet, you know, those guys are actually doing that stuff, and, you know, you don't hear all that much about it. But, you know, if we go on, you know, speaking of women and, you know, that you're seen, as I mentioned in my intro, one of the most athletic members in Congress, one of the stars of the congressional baseball game. Hopefully you still have it this year, despite, you know, the injury. Uh, and the House recently passed your bill to save women's sports. Now, like me, who's been talking about this issue for a few years, apparently we are now the face of modern day feminism. So, you know, talk about why the issue is so important to you uh, and, and what else we can do about it. Yeah, it's amazing how things get turned around to accomplish this progressive ideology and the mainstream media just flips stuff on the, on the script. So years ago in the Judiciary Committee, the Democrats passed what they called the Equality Act and it redefined what a woman was. A woman didn't have a definition anymore. It wasn't based on biology. It was based on whatever you felt like that day you could identify with whoever you wanted to. And I said, surely the Democrats would want to exempt women's sports through Title IX that was created by Congress over 50 years ago to protect women's sports. Otherwise, they would be competing with the men in every other sport. And the whole purpose of creating Title IX was to allow for women to compete with women uh, on the sports field. So I filed the amendment, not a single Democrat voted for it. And I thought, you know what, this might be a good idea for a standalone bill. And at the time, it was interesting because the Democrats, and they still kind of say this now, but they're like, oh, this never happens. You can only cite like one example, and this never happens. You don't ever see this happening across the country. And over the last several years, you've seen so much attention to this issue. Just recently, there was just another one uh, at a track meet or something where a biological male beat out a young female in the female women's track event. It's happening all across America. There's hundreds of examples of women losing medals, scholarships, Olympic events. And uh, one of my constituents, Emma Wyant, who had to go up against Leah Thomas, who was a male swimmer and couldn't make it in the male swimming team. So then decided, oh, I'm going to go on the women's team and identify as a woman suddenly started winning medals. She lost uh, a slot in the Olympics in Olympic medal because of him, Leah Thomas, beating her in women's swimming. And so thankfully, Speaker McCarthy took this on as one of the issues that we were going to pass in the first 100 days. We had huge support from the women who actually had competed against biological men who came up here and talked about it. And that was honestly the most powerful thing about all this was hearing these women's testimony about being in the pool with this biological male and get beating and their entire life since, you know, teenagers being focused on being a swimmer or being focused on being a track star or an athlete completely turned upside down when suddenly men are allowed to compete with them and they no longer can compete obviously because our the biologies between a man and a woman is very very different so to hear their testimonies was very very powerful and uh, thankfully we got it passed on the house floor but what was fascinating to me was not a single democrat voted for that bill not one not one democrat they are so sold into the transgenderism that they didn't see the the common sense and not allowing biological men in locker rooms with their daughters or competing on the field in complete 
backwardness to what Congress created in Title IX over 50 years ago. It's just amazing to me to see that flip that we've seen in just a few few short years since the Biden administration's taken over, where suddenly this is like a huge issue in the Democratic Party. And when there's no there's no moderate Democrats anymore, by the way, because you would think moderate Democrats would be like, yeah, there's moderate Democrats. There's no moderate legislators. There's no moderate Democrat. There's no moderate Democrats in Congress representing us. They can't win without sort of the California money. And you have to go all woke. And you're right. You know, the media does the there is there's no real examples of this it's like well here they are well well there's no real examples but but if there are it's good for xyz reason and what i wanted like where are where the suburban like you know soccer moms like you know the people that you know they wanted the best for their daughters and all of this stuff and i mean you know where are they in all of this i I have a daughter who's a who's a great athlete and you know could go somewhere with it and you know, I see the amount of dedication and time that she puts into, you know, her game. And, you know, she wakes up early to work out and stretch. And then she comes back and does her homework. And then she goes plays for you know, four hours and then stretches again. And like, I mean, she's a machine. It's awesome to see the level of discipline, the patience, the perseverance. And yet it's like if she was playing against guys her own age that are, you know, 40 pounds heavier and stronger. And the, it, like we're negating basic science from the people who told us, you know, we must trust the science. It, it makes no sense. Yeah. And I can tell you, suburban moms are with us, even in the middle, independence, democratic moms, they're with us. This is like a 75, 80% issue. And the Democrats have sold themselves to the idol of transgenderism. And I think this is going to be a huge issue come 2024 in the, in the elections, not just for president, but all the way through, if you're a member, and this is why it was so important that Kevin put all these people on the board on this bill, you now know where your member of Congress stands on this issue. And if you don't think the biological men should be in your daughter's locker room, then vote in and they voted for that or voted against that, yeah. then you can vote in a different member of Congress. And I think that's gonna be huge in some of these tough districts that we have a few Democrats that somehow have been able to hang on uh, in Trump won districts. This is gonna be a big issue for them because this is this cuts across party lines, it cuts across gender lines. And uh, this is a 75, 80% issue in every poll that I've seen. Americans do not support men competing with women in women's sports. Yeah, I, I think I agree. My, my, you know, the science behind that is I can post about it on Twitter. And even with all the sort of like 90, 10 uh, leftist hate on there, the amount of people I see in the comments that are like, Oh, I hate Don Jr. with a passion. I oh, he's the worst human being ever. But he's right on this issue. It, it's sort of amazing. I, I think you're right. And I guess you know they, they've sold out to that you know woke Hollywood version of this. But I I can't imagine the regular people are are with it. And I, as evidenced again by that, and probably just logic and common sense. But logic and common sense these days doesn't always prevail. Uh, Congressman, I'd love you to you know talk a little bit about your decision to endorse my father. Uh, in 2024 and your you know recent conversations with him. I know he called you immediately sort of following uh, your accident back in January. And I think one of the interesting things about politics is sort of uh, you get to see, you know, who actually calls and who doesn't, uh, who is you know available when it's convenient for them, but not necessarily the other way around. You know, talk a little bit about that decision, because I think it's probably interesting. Yeah, I think the the most important point, even before what happened with me and, and developing a stronger relationship with your father, is his policies, the America First agenda, 
and the very fact that he is the only person in the any announced candidate period, the only Republican in America that can walk into the White House on day one and start reversing all these disastrous policies of the Biden administration and has been there and knows how being president operates, knows who he can trust, put in important roles to be able to turn this country around. That's that's the policy reason as to why I think your president or your father would be the greatest president uh, to get reelected. And it, you see it in the polls. And then on a personal side, you see he genuinely cares about people. Uh, you, he genuinely has relationships about people, which is a hell of a lot more than I can say about the governor of our state. And the very first phone call that I remember, and I got a ton of phone calls, but when I came to the concussion was starting to fade away. Um, your father had gotten my wife's phone number from staff to be able to call her because obviously I couldn't answer the phone. And she put him on speaker and it's the very first phone call that I remember when I came to in the hospital, just wanting to know how I was doing, wanting to know if I'd be back in the baseball game to hit another home run against the Democrats, just genuinely wanting to know how I was. And to this day, I've never heard from Governor DeSantis, even after my injury and after my fall. And despite when he first got elected and I first got elected, multiple times going up to him saying, hey, Governor, here's my cell phone number. I have an important issue in Lake Okeechobee I'd like to talk to you about. Crickets. And then when he would come into town, they would exclude me from briefings. They would exclude me hurricanes bearing down on my district. And they wouldn't even allow me to be part of a press conference in my own district to my district because, you know, it's just about the governor and he's he's too busy to talk to you and and have you a part of that. And that's just not how your father operates. That's not how, frankly, any leader should operate. A leader shouldn't operate that way. You need a team of strong people beside you and alongside of you to accomplish whatever goals it is that you've set out on on the principles that you have. And that's just not what you see in Governor DeSantis. The decision was easy for me. What was interesting was the timing. All of a sudden there was this endorsement for Trump and this endorsement for Trump and another congressman for Trump. And suddenly the DeSantis team started going in panic mode and started contacting members like myself. And I've never heard from any of these people. Like I had never heard from his, his campaign guy. And suddenly after five years of being in Congress and him being governor, suddenly you're getting this phone call from a guy and it's like, oh, now after five years, you suddenly care about talking to me about anything. And uh, it, it was easy, but what precipitated that was the DeSantis team start pressuring people. Oh, you know, don't don't go with Trump, don't endorse Trump when there's no relationship there. And then threatening members of Congress, not me, but there's other members of Congress that were threatened that if they endorse Trump, that DeSantis was gonna primary them. That is not how leaders operate. You don't operate by fear. And I say, bring it on. Yeah, that, that's interesting. You talk about sort of, you know, the ex exclusion from, you know, the big press conferences around a hurricane or Lake Okeechobee. Uh, I, I think where you and I actually first met was when my father did a lot of the stuff with the Army Corps of Engineers for Lake Okeechobee. And he made sure yep. to make sure that guys like you, uh, you know, Congressman Mast was there, uh, you know, uh, you know, all of the people that are affected by, you know, the the, the water issues around Lake Okeechobee were all invited. And again, I think if I remember correctly, that's where we literally first met. This is now years yeah, ago when my met. father was president, but he wanted to make sure that everyone who, you know, would, would ultimately oversee this and who was a participant or and or whose constituency was affected by these decisions was a part of that conversation and ultimately a part of what would what was historic funding for the area, which was both, you know, we, we won't get any credit for environmental stuff because we're conservative and whatever it was, but, you know, did a lot to try to, you know, quell, you know, the red tide issues and all this stuff, you know, from the estuaries uh, on Lake Okeechobee that became a coastal waterways issues.
Yeah, he was president, and the reason why we are all over there is he opened up $500 million in funding for the Herbert Hoover Dyke uh, to repair that dike to be able to hold water and store water more for water quality issues, for safety issues, and uh, he thought it that important to come down and have an event to talk about it. And you're right, you're never mainstream media is never going to give a conservative credit for being good on environmental issues. But uh, that's absolutely why he was there and then brought everybody to the table that had a piece of uh, wanting to see that done. Yeah. Well, you know, what, I guess what, what, how did we get to this point? Well, you know, we talked about all the issues, whether it's the FBI and the whistleblowers and the reprisal of that. We talk about whether, you know, boys should be playing girls sports, military drag queens, just, you know, the notion of, you know, uh, having a border is, you know, very controversial and racist, apparently, you know, and, and all the insanity that literally comprises, you know, the, the polar opposites of the two parties. You know, do you ever sit back? How is some of this stuff even a debate? Uh, you know, what, what happens, you know, when you go to speak to your constituency, uh, when you see them, you know, because it, it's so far gone. Uh, do you ever wonder about how we got here? Yes, and we got here because Joe Biden, as you said, isn't really in control and the progressives are in control and the wokeism is in control and have just drugged the country as far left as humanly possible, ignoring the Constitution, ignoring the House, ignoring everybody that they can to try to bring us into a socialized Marxist communist state that is run by the Democrats. Uh, but when I go back to my district and I talk to even Democrats or independents, it's fascinating to get their opinion on all these things because they they don't agree with men playing in women's sports. They don't agree with DEI in the military. They don't agree with all of these things that are just common sense that how did we, like you said, how did we get here? Like, how are we actually having a conversation about drag queens in the military? How are we having a conversation with climate change being the number one national security threat to our country and that's the focus of our military. How did we get to all of these places? And if you go home, now I'm in a conservative district, but when you talk to independents and Democrats, they say the same thing. They're like, well, I may not agree with you here, but I agree with you on all of this. And all of these things that in the four years that I was here, when Pelosi was in charge of the house, the Equality Act, redefining the gender of a woman, uh, allowing illegal immigrants to vote in our elections, like all this crazy stuff, that they passed in the house that thankfully died in the Senate, people back home would just shake their head and be like, what are you guys doing up there in Washington? And obviously support me coming up here and fighting against it. And thankfully we have the house to be a stopgap against all these horrible policies. Think of how bad it would be if, if we didn't win the, the majority in the house this last election cycle and how much farther we would lurch to the left with another two years of complete democratic control in Washington. Yeah, so, you know, I'd love to hear more you know, about this sort of, you know, the independent and the Democrat voters in your district. I mean, is some of this stuff, the glaring insanity, uh, what's going on with inflation, you know, pushing us towards the brink of World War Three, uh, gas prices, you know, I, I, is some of that stuff enough to win them over for 2024 to overwhelm, you know, sort of the nonsense of the Democrat machine uh, and ballot harvesting, you know, maybe it probably is in Florida now, but it, you think that those issues transcend uh, the rest of the country to be able to talk to those independents and win them over? 
Yeah, 100%. We haven't talked much about economic issues, but that I, I guarantee you is the number one issue facing Americans today. And that for your middle voter, your independent voter, voter, your suburban moms, even your moderate Democrat voters are looking at how much they're paying at the pump. They're looking how much they're paying for eggs and groceries and lumber and all the things that they used to be able to afford that they can't afford any, anymore. They're looking at the economy that's going on. And that's really what's uh, forcing them to have to make really tough decisions about their lifestyles. I have probably the census statistics haven't come out yet, but I probably have the most elderly district in the country. I probably have the number one district with veterans. And these people are on fixed incomes. They're on social security. They're on VA benefits and every little increase in inflation that that has cost them to be able to live their lives appropriately is 100% going to drive their decisions in 2024. It is always economics and what their daily lives are like. And to be able to have to work two jobs or you're retired and now you got to go work part-time to be able to just have the same standard of living that you've had over the last several years because of Biden's inflation and the spending that the Democrats have done up here in Washington. That's really what's going to drive 2024. All right. So when you look back on this Congress, you know, what's going to be, what would be the key benchmarks of success for you? What, you know, if you get to 2024, hopefully we have a successful time there. But what do you want this Congress to be able to say, hey, we got this done. These are the things that we want on. Uh, you know, we should be taking 2024. Well, we've had a ton of huge wins that we've passed out of the House immigration reform, shutting down the border, building like all these type of things that we have done that you'll, you'll one, never hear about in mainstream media and two, won't become law because of the Senate. But I think what we can accomplish is oversight for the American people so they can see how corrupt the Democrats are, how corrupt the DOJ and the FBI are. And it's not just the FBI and the DOJ. We've talked about the IRS. We haven't talked about ATF. They're doing the same kind of garbage. All these different agencies that ha are using their power and authority to put a progressive agenda not passed by Congress on the American people. I think getting that information out is important, important and then using the appropriations process as much as we can to try to get conservative policy goals accomplished, I think is very, very important. I think we can put uh, building, finishing the wall into the budget as it relates to immigration and naturalization. You can put little riders on the budget that say not a single dollar of this fund shall be used to allow an illegal immigrant to come into our country. There are, there are goals that we can accomplish through the appropriations process. Now, obviously, the Senate's going to play a part in that, but there we have a very strong leverage authority because the purse strings come from the House, and I think there's a lot that we can get done there. But we've already passed a lot of things that I avidly support. I'm actually very happy that Kevin McCarthy is stuck strong on the debt ceiling negotiations by cutting spending and putting work requirements in the very same cutting and work requirements that Joe Biden himself when he was in Senate voted for the Bill Clinton stewarded work requirements for uh, these type of social welfare programs because people people shouldn't be on social welfare we should help them out in a short period of time to be able to get them a job and that's exactly what those programs should be for not for people to live off of so being able to accomplish those those things uh, i think are great for the american people well you know, i can see you have a lot of passion on some of these issues what made you get into politics in the first place were you political growing up what you know what lessons have you learned even going back to say you know your first race uh, in state politics uh, that, that keep you going yeah, my story's kind of interesting because I came from, I just wanted to be a cowboy and work on ranches and I was rodeoing. I went to the University of Florida to get a bachelor's degree in beef cattle science. 
And uh, that was really my focus. And then as an ag guy, as a member of the Florida Cattlemen's, I had the opportunity to lobby some state house members. And uh, I can remember like, what is wrong with these people? They don't understand at all ag in the state of Florida. They don't understand the issues that we're dealing with. There were very few people with production agricultural background in the state legislature. And I said, you know what? That's, we probably need more people like me in elected politics. And uh, so I went to law school and uh, my first semester of law school is when September 11th occurred. And so that took me into the military. I felt called, actually enlisted in the infantry. I felt called to serve uh, and heeded the call of George W. Bush that we needed able-bodied men to serve our country and fight terrorism. And I answered that call, spent about four and a half years active duty, did a tour in Iraq. And then when I came back, I had an opportunity to run for a state house seat, spent six years in the state house, two years in the state Senate, and got elected to Congress in 2018. And so I've continued that service fighting for my country instead of with an M4 on my side, now fighting for my country in Congress. And I think it's important to have people with that type of background, with that type of patriotism and uh, conservative core beliefs to serve up here in Washington. Yeah, it's sort of like the gun issue. We need more people that actually know something about guns to, to talk about them, not those uh, who are looking for quick sound bites that you experience with, whether it's ag or cattle or, you, know, you have people that couldn't tell you the difference between a sheep uh, and, and, and a cow, uh, and, and they're going to be arguing the finer nuances of ag. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but I guess that shouldn't surprise us in Washington, D.C. anymore these days. No, or don't even. I have to give them a lesson <laughs> on the difference between a semi-automatic rifle and a semi-automatic handgun, and that they function exactly the same. So by banning assault weapons, their so-called term of art, you're also banning every type of legal sidearm that's a semi-automatic. So you have to like teach them because they have no idea because well, they're not. Or they, or they don't, they've care, never actually right? fired a weapon. Or yeah, or, or they, or they, they absolutely don't care, don't care because they're happy with you know with banning it all, and that's that's ultimately where they'd be going. And you know. They're, exactly they're just different they than us. Go. You know, they're they're taking. They'll get a little cut. You know, you see what's going on. You know, pistol brace. Uh, you know that basically, I guess you know today, you know, the May thirty first. That's you know happening. Uh, you know, they take that little cut, then they take another little cut, little cut, and everyone pretends, oh, they're not really coming after us, but they are, and and they'll keep doing that. Yeah, and again, another uh, that's a great example of how ATF is weaponized and using something that Congress has never passed. Congress hasn't passed a pistol brace ban, but ATF is trying to take as many steps as they can, in my opinion, unconstitutionally, that's going to drive people into court. They're trying to take as much steps as they can to do certain actions to accomplish progressive ideology without anything passing through Congress. That's what's happening in all of these agencies all across the administration, because that's, that's how Biden's operating. They know they can't get stuff passed through Congress. So they're just trying to accomplish these progressive, uh, these progressive goals through the rulemaking process in these different agencies. It's insane. Yeah. You know, going into 2024, what, what would your final message be to your constituency, to people or, and really people across America about the importance of not just keeping the house, but also winning the Senate back and obviously taking back the white house? Well, you know, I've talked to a lot of conservatives who've been frustrated, obviously, over the last several years and are starting to believe, well, your my vote doesn't matter. And that is exactly the attitude that Nancy Pelosi wants you to have and not the attitude you should have. The attitude you should have is where do I go? How do I sign up? How do I get my family? How do I get my friends to vote for American first values, to vote for America uh, ideal, ideology and conservative principles? And we really going to this is. This is it. This is our last stopgap stalwart against 
a communist, socialist, Marxist state. If we don't win the president in 2024, uh, our country is going to go to a very deep, dark place. And I don't know if we're going to be able to get it out. So the importance and the level for everyday Americans who don't care about politics, who don't just want to go and do their job every single day. This is the year that you need to show up and show up in force, that you stand for America. You stand for the beliefs that Americans believe in and in the Constitution. Uh, otherwise, we're going to be in some real challenges up here in Washington. I think we can hold the House. We have a really great map for the Senate. Um, we only need to pick up one or two. We can easily pick up Montana, West Virginia, some of these other states. And if we can take the House, the Senate, and the White House, man, the things that we'll be able to do for those four years. Yeah, and I think it'd be a little bit of a better mandate than sort of a Paul Ryan House with a Donald Trump presidency. I think people get it now that that America First agenda uh, is alive and well amongst conservatives. I think that's going to be huge and important. So thank you so much, Congressman. Really appreciate your time doing this. Uh, look forward to watching you at the congressional baseball game and uh, seeing you down here in uh, in Florida. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. My pleasure, man. Guys, thanks so much for tuning in and watching. Please like, share, and subscribe. Download the Rumble app. By doing that, you're going to make sure that this message is able to get out there, that the truth will get there. It won't be watered down by woke, you know, conservative media and certainly... <laughs> No one else in the regular mainstream media, 99% uh, Democrat uh, marketing department is going to do it. So make sure to like, subscribe and share and also make sure to go check out our sponsors. It takes guts to support programming like this. So go check out the folks at Goldco. Diversify your portfolio so you can protect against the economic storm that we see, the stupidity, the bad decisions, the bad collapses, uh, the bank collapses, excuse me. All of the things that we're witnessing with our own eyes, diversify and protect your retirement savings while supporting the companies who support your values instead of those who hate you. So go to DonJuniorGold.com to learn more. That's D-O-N-J-R-Gold.com to learn more and protect yourself. Also, don't forget to check out the folks at Blackout Coffee, American-made, family-owned, not going to compromise on anything, and they support your values. So from sourcing beans, the roasting process, everything all done to perfection here in America. Go to blackoutcoffee.com slash D-O-N-J-R for 20% off your first order. That's blackoutcoffee.com slash Don Jr. And uh, again, guys, thanks for tuning in and I'll talk to you soon.